Can you hear me? You're quite quiet. Am I? Yeah. Hmm. That's odd. Am I better now? Yeah. Well, louder. Not better, but loud. <laughs> that's always what you hear with Josh, just loud. <laughs> How you doing, Bast? You all right? Yeah, I'm not too bad, mate. How are you? Yeah, all good, thank you. All good. Well, thank you for coming on. Welcome, Oscar. Um, and welcome to what is a European Super League special. Before we get started, would you like to give a brief introduction and tell us why you're here and uh, what you're going to be talking about? Why I'm here? Um, I mean, that's I'm here because you asked me. <laughs> um, uh, I guess as a Liverpool fan, really, for my view on European Super League, um, I'm not claiming to have any expertise on it whatsoever. I have some very experience working um, for a football team in their legal team but um, yeah as I say doesn't give me any expertise whatsoever. I'm happy to big you up and say that <laughs> you are you are an expert in the fields having worked for one of the big six in their legal in their legal teams but no to give a very quick overview of what we're going to be talking about the Super League for anyone who might not be up to date essentially 12 European teams decided that they'd had enough of the Champions League and wanted to go off and create their own league and earn as much money as possible in doing so. And the so-called Dirty Dozen involved Manchester City, Manchester United, Liverpool, Arsenal, Spurs, Chelsea, Juve, AC Milan, Inter Milan, Barcelona and Real Madrid. Now, You'll notice there is no PSG or no Bayern Munich or no Dortmund, and that is for reasons that we will discuss later. But it's the idea that these 12 teams would form a new league, and as founding members, they essentially couldn't be disqualified from said league, and so they are guaranteed an extra potential $400 million every year, as opposed to the potential $100 million that you get only if you win the Champions League. So let alone qualify for the Champions League, but you need to win it to get $100 million. So based on all of that, it's quite clear that the reasoning behind these teams doing this was financial. And so for that reason, it caused a bit of an uproar. And that's probably where I'm going to start. And I'm going to ask you guys your questions, and particularly you, Oscar, as a fan of one of the Dirty Dozen. What was your initial reaction when you heard about Liverpool's plans to join the Super League? Um, I think pretty similar to everyone else, probably just fairly... It's, it's, it's kind of it's not even that surprising anymore, because it's something that had been kind of in the pipeline for a while. I think it was just surprising that it kind of came out of the blue, all of them announcing it at once. But I'd say kind of surprise and then, you know, pretty, fairly disgusted, fairly depressed. It, but it's, it's just, um, I, I kind of, I think, I know that Liverpool fans don't like to think that you kind of believe that nonsense, they're more than a club and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think these owners have shown that they're not, they don't necessarily buy into it that much. You think over the summer, I don't know if you guys remember, there was that kind of plan but to slightly change the funding in the Premier League to give the um, EFL slightly more funding, but for the big six to have more power. And I think Liverpool and Man U work together really um, closely to push that plan. And I think Liverpool are a ringleader in that as well. Um, 
in this uh, Dirty Dozen breakaway as well. So I think there's a real difference between the way fans like to see the club at the moment and the way the owners behave. And I think this has kind of reinforced a lot of concern under the surface that Liverpool fans have had with the ownership over the last few years. This kind of really crystallised it um, and brought it to the surface. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, you referred to project big picture there which yeah. was the uh, the premier league restructuring that didn't happen earlier on in the year and it was interesting to see some similar failings that happened again this time and and actually when i first mentioned the idea of you coming on here today one of the things you, you said to me was it was baffling that the super league didn't seem to have anyone advocating yeah. for it they didn't seem to have a spokesperson that did seem like a big failure. Yeah, it's a good point. Actually, and you say the same things. The, the same thing happened when they proposed that restructuring last time, and they obviously just didn't learn their lessons. It's quite, it's quite weird, really, because you know, would have thought they obviously they pay enormous amounts of money to PR firms and things like that, and they just don't seem to think that they'll need to ever back it up or ever have anyone kind of in their corner. So I, I, I see the exact same failing, and I, it's just quite peculiar. I've read a series of tweets from someone basically saying that. Because they're so disconnected to what the fans want and to ever think that they need to justify themselves is so kind of, I, I don't know if it's maybe an American thing. Yeah, it's, it is interesting that it does seem to be predominantly led by these American owners more than anyone else. I mean, as it was kind of building, it became apparent that it was heavily led by Liverpool and United mm-hmm. and Real Madrid, obviously, as well. But then it seemed that City were kind of dragged in Chelsea's claim to be dragged in as well and yeah I just find it interesting that these American owners just seem to be so incredibly disconnected that they managed to actually just get it so wrong that they turned every single stakeholder possible against them (laughs) within 24 hours whether that be the fans the media the players the managers politicians and even the British royal family Publicly. Yeah, completely. I think exactly what Oscar said. It's almost just the arrogance of, of being so confident in your idea that you don't feel like you need any sort of ambassadors for it. That the idea is sort of good enough in that sense that it doesn't need any sort of support. But my, I think my point of view is just that they're such in their corporate bubble that this is just a card that they played out of many cards they could have played in their negotiations with UEFA. They played this card thinking it was going to move the needle in their favor in the discussions around European competition. And for somehow, some reason, completely forgot that there's an outside world outside of those negotiations and there's a reaction. And and I think what, as well, Josh, what we've talked about in the past is that there's just this hope and reliance that there's a difference between local and international fans, that international fans are going to be just ready to go, wanting to watch this, like wanting this to launch yesterday watching the best teams in Europe play each other week in, week out. But again, they, I think they underestimated the the international fan base as well, not wanting to watch that every week and liking the the competition and the sport about Burnley being able to beat Chelsea or whoever. The, the interesting thing is, I don't know how you, how you guys look at this, but the way they tried to defend it was, yeah, but it's the same way as they do in America, which fair enough. I mean, they're, it's all a business. and what the decision they made is very is business driven but ultimately the product because of that hasn't improved they've not been able to export it internationally when they tried it failed miserably 
no one, I mean, the TV ratings for regular season sports in the US is going down. People only tune in at the playoffs. So I'm not too sure even what, what they, why they thought this was a, a viable product apart from that financially it was beneficial to them. I think that's such a good point about the American sports as well. And it's not it's even UEFA when they were selling this new Swiss model. I think the guy, I can't remember his name now, is it Seferin? Who, he said something like, people are watching less and less sport, like in America, they're watching less and less sport, but they're watching the crucial competitive bit. So like you say, like the playoff. Or the example he gave was like the last two minutes of basketball match. He said something like maybe the last 15, maybe we'll sell we'll sell subscription models where you can see the last 50 minutes of every football match because that's always the most competitive and interesting. I think I don't I don't know what product they're talking about because that's not my experience with football matches. And it's not no. something I would recognize most people would think. Yeah, it's interesting because I think American sport is specifically built around the idea of creating those buzzer shot moments, those Hail Mary moments, you know. And the idea is, is it builds towards this moment at the end of the game that everyone is captivated by and could potentially swing the game either way. But the reality of it is, is that football doesn't follow that model at all. I mean, we had the Aguero moment, but that's a once in a lifetime thing. And that's what makes it so special. And so it's, I've always found it interesting how they intend on turning football into an appealing sport to Americans because it's such a different market. They expect such a different thing out of sport. But just going back to what you were saying earlier on about how it felt like it was maybe a tactic to push UEFA in a certain direction. I mean, that was my first reaction when I saw this. I thought, all I thought, oh, right, okay. It's come the day before the vote around the Swiss model Champions League reform. This is surely just a way for them to try and push negotiations even further in the richer clubs' interests. But it was the way in which you had the chairman, both Ed Woodward and Andrea Angeli, resign from their positions with UEFA and the ECA and Fiorentino Perez talking about binding contract, welding these teams together for 23 years. It just seemed so final and so absolute that it kind of went beyond what I initially thought was a bluff. But I think because they've used this tactic, I was speaking to my manager and he's been in the football Champions League world quite a while. And he said, he was saying that this is something that they've been a tactic and the threat they've been using since the 80s. So I think if they came again with just a threat of, oh, well, if you don't listen to us, we're going to start the Super League. UEFA would have gone, yeah, are you going to use that one again? We've heard that one before. So I think now they sort of had to, not make it an empty threat and really just make it more official, which has massively backfired. And I don't know in what kind of position they now are at with UEFA to try and get their way to have more money flow to the top clubs, have more guarantee on getting into the tournament. The thing with that is though that I thought they sort of got what they wanted out of those, the Swiss model, which looks dreadful, by the way, in that they've got kind of more guaranteed matches with top teams. They get the... Um, you get more guaranteed places if you're doing well in the coefficient. You know, other than obviously they want it to be just them and them to have 100% of, you know, whatever the TV revenues are. It, it, they've kind of already got what they wanted to. It, it doesn't, I can't really square that in my head that it was a tactic at that point because it looked like they sort of got what they wanted and I'm not sure if maybe it was just, it had, as you say, bastard, this happens every year. 
they trusted it and then back down and once they get what they want. And maybe it started with that. And then I think they were saying on the, the around the weekend, um, clubs were getting told, you know, we're doing this now, you're either in or you're out, and if you're out, you're missing out on hundreds of millions of pounds. I don't know if maybe they kind of got pushed from there and that's why it all happened so quickly. Yeah, I think I think that's why it had to happen so quickly because basically a lot of clubs were being put in a position that they had to either say yes or no. And if you said no, then you were saying no to a lot of money, which is always very difficult for football clubs to say no to money. But yeah, no, I think, I mean, it, it just goes to show with the clubs that have been the last ones to pull out are probably the clubs that need the Super League most in terms of, if you just look, if you probably just look at each of the club's debts, the ones that are left over are the ones with the biggest amount of debt. And that with the new Swiss model, that money... A, isn't as guaranteed as it would be in the Super League, and B, is probably not enough for them to be able to go to their creditors and go, no, don't worry, we'll be able to pay these back. Uh, absolutely. I think it was desperation almost. I think the Swiss model, a lot of the teams probably would have taken that had it not been for COVID and the amount of money that a lot of these teams have lost throughout this crisis. The Swiss model, so to recap quickly, it takes the total amount of teams from 32 to 36 and divides them into leagues in which they play each other once. If there's 10 teams or so that play each other once, which creates an extra 100 games. And as you mentioned there briefly, Oscar, as well, it does also create the opportunity for two teams every year to not qualify via their league position, but rather their UEFA coefficient, which interestingly enough, this year, would have meant that Spurs and Arsenal would have gotten into the Champions League based on their UEFA coefficients. So it did just seem like they would have been happy with that had a lot of them not been in huge amounts of debt. Barcelona are in a terrible situation. And Liverpool and, and Man United are desperately trying to not lose too much money. And I just think it was purely financially driven and it just seemed the way it was put together seemed a bit desperate. I was going to say, I just feel on what you're saying about the kind of Bar- Liverpool and Man U versus kind of Barca, Barca and Real Madrid. They are like ridiculously short of cash. Like Real Madrid didn't buy anyone, I don't think, last summer. And I was kind of thinking from a long-term perspective, I think it's quite, it's sort of strange that six, there's six Premier League teams in it because that's the league that everyone wants to emulate. They're the ones, they're the reason that Real Madrid and Barcelona are desperate to create a Super League because, you know, the money is going to the Premier League and I think they're worried that that's kind of the long-term future is that they're going to get the kind of financial gap is going to get bigger and bigger. Yeah, completely. I agree that they're seeing a lot of money flow away. You've seen PSGs in in great amount of trouble with this company that has bought the TV rights from France, thinking that could, they could sell it on for a profit, but they're struggling to find someone to, to sell the TV rights onto and they don't have the capacity to actually broadcast the game so the French league is a massive issue the broadcasting thing as a whole I just found amazing because the whole idea of a super league is based on the idea that tv rights are are the main source of money and that is how clubs are gonna you know get even richer but they didn't even have or weren't able to name any broadcasters that had lined up that would be interested in paying for the Super League, which just seemed to be a, a huge gap in their plan. Um, I, I, that was the whole thing. It's like they were spouting all these huge numbers, but what are the numbers based on? Yeah, well, maybe that's why it fell apart so quickly because 
under like any sort of you know close inspection it, there's, there's kind of nothing to back it up and they talk about i saw some people saying they're going to have their own streaming sites and other people saying they were going to have do big deals but i just there, there, as you say it was nonsense kind of back of like garantino Perez's back packet there's nothing else to it and from a legal perspective there's a, there was a lot of talk of oh it's only agreements in principle there's no binding contracts i mean how how much of that do you reckon is true and also is it possible to have a 23 year long binding contract that if you're that Perez seems to be talking about in theory i mean i said enough about football regulations to know if there would be any restriction on that i mean obviously i would imagine it would go <laughs> it's obviously the whole principle is going against UEFA regulations in that you're setting up a league in the first place but I, as far as i'm aware there's there's not kind of any any reason you wouldn't be able to enter into a 23 year agreement but I just find the idea that you would then you would any of those clubs would enter into an agreement that had no right to terminate especially something that was clearly going to be quite controversial and as you say there was not actually any actual real money in place other than I think um it wasn't JP Morgan was it JP Morgan yeah it was yeah JP Morgan yeah yeah saying that they'd kind of they'd help with the lending but I don't I'm not sure there's any actual concrete money coming forward the idea that any of those incredibly wealthy, successful clubs would sign up 23 years without an out is ridiculous. And obviously it's proven that way by the fact that they've actually, in 48 hours, they've exited and they haven't been sued. You know, I, I, I think that that was absolute, I think he was fronting it, quite frankly, and obviously because he was terrified they had nothing to back it up with. Yeah, and in the other threat that was thrown about quite a lot, more so by UEFA and the Premier League, was that if the clubs did go ahead with this league, then they would be kicked out of their leagues and players wouldn't be allowed to compete in international football. I mean, there was a lot of debate about whether or not they could do that. What what would be the basis of any of those sanctions? Well, I think that's surely... So with the Premier League one, I think... I, I saw a rule shared in... And I read an FT article. It was something like you would... The issue with kicking them out of the Premier League is that you'd need 70, I think it was 75% of the clubs to vote in favour of doing that. And obviously you've got six Premier League teams in the in the um, Super League. So that's seven, that, you can only get to 70% <laughs> assuming that those six teams don't vote to kick themselves out of the league. But with then, in terms of international rules, UEFA would be able to block players from playing in the Euros. But then at the World Cup, I imagine it would be FIFA doing that. And I assume, again, you need the national associations to vote to pass any regulations like that. I imagine, I actually think that would probably be easier in a way to do it than it would be to kick a team out of the Premier League. Yeah, I think so too. And I I think it would be in not only UEFA's interest, which is clear, but also into into FIFA's interest. Because speaking to a a mate of mine who's Brazilian, and he was saying that in Brazil and South America, they were watching the Super League with with a close eye to kind of, see if they can replicate it. So it would also be in FIFA's interest to then ban these ban those players because just to deter any other sort of continental federations and clubs within that to do the same. It's interesting, I think, the future now. Like how short are football fans' memories going to be in this in this case? That's actually exactly what I was going to ask. And I was going to ask Oscar first because I've got a feeling I know what your answer is going to be, Bastian. But what what happens now? I mean, 
how far are football fans going to take this revolution that they have started and they've, you know, they've upped arms against the elite and they've, you know, overthrown the, the greedy owners. How far are they going to take this? Are we going to start seeing 50 plus one models rolled out across the Premier League? Or as Bastian mentioned very briefly there, do football fans have incredibly short memories? And actually, what's your opinion as a Liverpool fan? What's your view on it? Can Henry stay in position? So I think generally, you know, the ideal would be that now everyone, you know, fans have discovered that if they all do have a strong campaign, they can actually um, make a difference. I'm not entirely optimistic that's going to happen. Apart from anything else, the way UEFA works just makes it quite difficult. It's not as easy as the Super League as a brand new thing that is challenging. Um, in terms of 50 plus one, I I would hope so. Um, I think it's unlikely because they've, so the government have put it out for review and there was a lot of talk, wasn't there, of Boris Johnson saying he'd put a legislative bomb under any attempts to make European Super League. I think now that threat's gone, I think it's, you know, it's unlikely a Tory government will massively interfere, interfere in private business in that way um, to force everyone to have a fit to have that system. Um, but I mean, ideally, that would be that would be perfect. And I think that's maybe where fans can make a difference is if that's the focus of this kind of movement, if they can get a strong campaign going and that's their, that's their demand. And I think that's certainly possible. Um, in terms of Liverpool, I think John Henry is definitely in a difficult position now um, and will be very unpopular. And there's always been a kind of argument between Liverpool fans over whether they're good owners or whether you know they didn't spend enough but then over the past 10 years obviously been much more successful kind of strong and steady um but i think now obviously the tide's turned against him whether he actually gives a crap you know he lives the other side of the country he lives the other side of the world if, as long as the money keeps rolling in and fans don't boycott which i don't imagine they will maybe he just kind of keeps going for a bit and then sells once this storm has passed or he just keeps going until until he gets bored of it i i, I don't really see if there's any particular pressure on him to sell that would make him want to leave yeah and I think that that was one of the theories that was voiced quite a few times that another reason behind all of this was that the American owners kind of wanted to make a lot of money very fast and then move on and so the idea being that they join the Super League for a few seasons make lots and lots of cash and then sell Liverpool or and United for a lot more than they bought them for but Bastian, what's your view on it? Do you think the the revolution will continue or is this it? The optimist in me says, yes, it will continue. I think I completely agree with Oscar that they need to have sort of a spear point and the thing that they have to aim for um, because there was a very clear enemy. There was one enemy for everyone to turn against against. But I think now that everyone sort of come together and sort of are now going back into their usual tribes, we'll see how unified fans can be in that in, in that sense because there's there's obviously a hatred amongst for example city fans and things like that but some other fans are are pretty happy with the status quo in in terms of UEFA so yeah i, I think as soon as it's cooled off in a week's time we're we're going to be into almost as business as usual um i think like uh, like oscar says i think there's a couple of people in the business in in the world that already had a bad reputation with their fans their reputation has just gotten worse and i think the likes of the ownership of city might have taken a a bit of a dink but nothing harmful i think i would say in terms of ownership as well say man city win the champions league this year then their fans are going to 
you know, remember this. Okay, yeah. and you know, I, I would say if Liverpool won the Champions League, obviously we're out of it now. But if we weren't and we won, then you know, realistically, we've gone quite quickly. Yeah, I think so. We'll, we'll see what happens this weekend. It'll be interesting at the Carabao Cup final. If anything happens, I think that could be a real indicator if if this is something that they they're going to keep going, even though now that both both teams have pulled out. But yeah. Sadly, I'd, I think they, they're going to celebrate this victory and feel like they've won won the war, not just a battle. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree. I like to think that this is the start of, of a new movement of football fans all banding together and getting, getting the people's game back. Um, but before we finish, I'd just like to give a, a shout out to Mr. Jose Mourinho for being the ultimate spin doctor and turning his resignation into a into a political stance against the elite to completely hide the fact that he's had a bit of a disaster. Yeah, collecting That's, 90 million in the loose. And and yes, and and <laughs> pulling off quite a, a significant financial move in the process. Isn't, is, isn't that isn't that close to the amount of money that the Super League was promising to send back to each league? That cannot be a coincidence. <laughs> yeah, no, I do think that was that was pretty amazing. And a bit of a shame in a way, because I feel like, firstly, there would have been a lot more talk about Mourinho had none of this gone on. And but then had none of this gone on, he might not have been sacked. And also a shame because I would quite like to have seen if he had, if he was able to actually win Spurs a trophy at the weekend. Him kind of sneaky sliding down at Wembley would have been, would have been a better way to go. <laughs> Agreed. 100% pitch, but also, also, he, he did very much get sacked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe that Jose Mourinho would really take a stance like that. It just doesn't really, you know, it doesn't fit with him unless he was yeah. destined to get sacked. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree with you. Yeah, he doesn't exactly scream man of the people, but you know, he 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 tried. No, well, Oscar, thank you very much for coming on and, um, you know, sharing with us your expertise, shedding some light on the Super League. I've no doubt that by the time I edit this, everything will have changed completely and we will actually be having a Super League starting next Monday. So we can do another podcast about that when that yeah, happens. I look forward to seeing some analysis of Juve, um, Juve Man City next week. Um, but yeah, obviously, thanks for having me on. I think everyone will realise there was no expertise there, but always good to have a chat about it. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Bye bye.